Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I have never met a doctor that said, I'm doing this for money. Like, never. Now, I'm not saying there's not one or two out there like that. But we honestly, for the most part, we go into this field because we want to help people. And the, the process, the training process that kind of beats that out of you and literally, you know, kind of forces you or teaches you that you have to put up this tough exterior. And then even beyond that, the system, it's not the doctors, it's not the nurses, it's not the techs, it's the system in which we practice medicine mm. that is completely broken. Completely broken. Completely broken. Completely broken. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back, welcome back, people. Today's episode needed, 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 needed. It's um, I've been in these situations many times before in my life. Well, not many, but you know, more than once, more than twice, more than three times. That's many. Um, <laughs> honestly, like I'm not a fortune teller, I'm not a mind reader. But if there's one thing I, I know for sure is that if you have not already. At some point in your life, you'll find yourself sitting in front of a doctor, having a conversation about a serious illness. It may be your illness. It may be the illness of a close friend or beloved family member. But at some point, you will find yourself in that position. And when you do, you're going to want to ask all the right questions and say all the right things. And you're going to look smart. You're, you're going to want to present like this strong front, like you've got it together. But chances are, the stress and the worry and the concern in the moment, the emotions you feel, they're really going to control you. What you say, what you do, your experience. You're going to miss something. You're going to forget something. And, and the hope in that moment is that you're sitting in front of a doctor who is connected enough to the patient, to you, the family, to point out the things that you fail to ask, the things that you fail to say, right? 
who understands what you may be feeling and brings that to life for you. We're going to hope that you're sitting in front of a doctor who sees you and is not detached from the fear you feel, from the humanity that lives inside of you, or perhaps you won't even acknowledge. Now, like I said, I've been in these positions before more than once, and I've had both experiences of doctors who would pull it out for me and doctors who did nothing but check a box and walk out the room. And so the question I have for you listeners is, why is it that sometimes the doctor or the nurse in front of you fails to see you, right? The more important question I have is, what can we do about it? The answer to that lives in our guest today, who has a lived experience and is also a doctor herself. She has a story, and it's a common story, but she experienced something that led her to a very uncommon action. It led her to create a company that makes us visible again. So allow me to bring her to the mic. Dr. Nicole Rochester, welcome to Wild Black. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. Good, good, good. Hopefully our connection gets a little bit better. Tell, <laughs> tell the folks a little bit more about you. Who are you? What are your qualifications? What kind of doctor are you? All that kind of stuff. Feel free to flex on them too. <laughs> so I am a board-certified pediatrician by training, and I've always wanted to be a pediatrician, practiced pediatrics for almost 20 years before leaving medicine in 2017, initially in primary care, and then for the majority of my career as a pediatric hospitalist, which is a fancy word for a doctor who spends most of their time taking care of patients in the hospital. Um, I was an assistant professor, so I had the pleasure of teaching medical students and pediatric residents, and I was also a medical director. And as you alluded to, I um, transitioned out of clinical medicine uh, almost five years ago now to launch my own company, Your GPS Doc, which is a health advocacy and health equity consulting company. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about the why behind that a little bit later. Absolutely. Absolutely. The word advocacy is, is powerful in this space. It's having someone advocate for you when perhaps you are not able to. And Again, I won't delve into my experience, but I see the value in that. Like, I, I remember how it felt to be in those moments and, and not have someone advocating for me or my family member because you truly do react emotionally and you don't remember everything that you need to ask or say or do or think about. An advocate would have been nice. But Absolutely. we're going to get into that part. So, Art, you ready to hit it with the wild black shit, bro? Absolutely, absolutely. So, Dr. Nicole, you ready for this? Well, first, before I ask you, are you ready for this? I want to make sure you're aware of what, what's about to take place. Three questions. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a fan. Okay, so cool, yes. cool. I'm, oh, I'm you, ready. Oh, you ready? I ain't got to explain. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we're going to jump right in then. First question. I need you to finish these lyrics. It never rains in... Southern California. You better have got that you see, right. You see that confidence right there? Yes. No, I was getting nervous because I'm horrible with lyrics. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm one of those people. I hum songs, so I was really getting nervous, but I got I'm you. sure you're going to make it harder. I got you. Don't, don't make it too hard. <laughs> so you got the first one. Second one. I said, oops, upside your head. 
I said, oops, upside your head. All right. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Waheed, we, I think we're going to be able to continue recording. We're we going to make it. Mm-hmm. Third one. You better call... Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Okay. Okay. <sighs> that was the, the teaser, the warm-up. So you're giving her these softballs, bro. Uh-huh. I got to give them easy. <laughs> at, Wiffle at first. balls. At first. Right. Right. <laughs> Foam nerf balls. Mm-hmm. Easy ones. All right. Here's a scenario. So if you're at your grandma's house and she said, go outside and get a switch, tell us what she meant by that and what was inevitably about to happen to you or somebody around you. <laughs> what she meant by that was to go pull a small branch <laughs> off of a tree in the yard and you're about to get your behind whipped. I'm going to translate. You're about to get that ass toe up. <laughs> yes. That's a good old-fashioned ass whooping right there. Translation. Bingo. Third question, signature <laughs> question. What do you love most about life while black? Before you answer that one, since you are a fan and you have been listening for a while, I'm about to expect greatness. Because you've had this moment for... <laughs> Go ahead. No pressure, no pressure. None, none. Um, none. There's so many things. I, I mean, I know you, I listen to your guests and they, ever, they always come up with these profound answers. There's so many things I love about being Black. But I think for me, the thing I love the most um, about Wild Black is just the duality of us not being a monolith, but at the same time having like shared experiences, no matter what. Like I'm a physician. People may already have some ideas about who I am or what I make or what I, you know, all. But at the same time, I have the same experiences as somebody who has, you know, a different income, may live in a different house, drive a different car. We listen to the same music. We eat the yeah. same food. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I just, I love that about being Black. Just, we're all one big, happy family. I, I love it. Actually, mm -hmm. um, I don't know that we've heard it put that way before. What you just said was, I'm brilliant, I'm educated, I'm paid, I'm a doctor, I'm professional, but don't get it twisted. Do not. I'm a sister. Do not. The, the right. negrosity is strong here. <laughs> the negrosity, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a flex, meaning I can operate in any it. environment. Right. There you go. Right. That's the beauty of being black. I can mm -hmm. give it to you how you need it. <laughs> yeah. All right. You um you destroyed that. You didn't miss anything. You. you was on point with it. You in the right spot. You in the right spot. <laughs> Yay. So we're gonna move into the uh the dope quote and Everyone knows what it is. It's, it's something from religion, history, science, entertainment, math. Doesn't really matter. It's typically from the mouth of someone black. And it has relevance to the episode today. Today's is all of that. I want to take a second and read it to you. 
and then get your opinion. And you might remember this one. Our biggest healthcare crisis is not cost. It is the erosion of the doctor-patient relationship. Said by you. So, when you hear that, what comes to mind for you? Wow. Well, first of all, I'm like feeling warm inside that you chose one of my own quotes. That's that's really that's really cool. Because it was you. powerful and it hit and it made sense. And we do our homework at Wild Black. <laughs> I see. I see. Um, so many layers to that, but at the time that I said that, um, you know, there was so much. This is pre. 2020, pre this sudden awakening, and you know, now everybody in healthcare realizes, remembers, acknowledges, whatever word you want to use, that there's health disparities, there's racism in medicine. But at that time, there was so much focus on healthcare costs. And don't get me wrong, that's important. But um, as a former caregiver to my late father, what I saw over and over again was a, uh, a lack of a dehumanization of patients and of of their family caregivers, their support people, their spouses, their partners. And um, when I started to see healthcare from what I call the other side of the stethoscope and to see that complete disruption between the doctor and the patient, and that's that's like the sanctity of the relationship, our ability to connect to our patients and, and to gain their trust and to encourage them to follow our recommendations. And um, when I saw it from that outsider perspective, I was just blown away um, by how computers and all these other administrative tasks and insurance companies and just all these other things have now come between that sacred doctor-patient relationship. And so I continue to believe that that is really the, the, a huge crisis. Yeah. And of course, now on top of that, you know, I would <clears throat> add Structural racism. Yeah, yeah. When I when I read that quote from you, it brought something that I just saw on I think it was Instagram this week, and it's it went something like, "Police are to the black man what doctors are to the black woman," and I stopped and I thought about it. And then I reflected on all the experiences of the women that I knew, the experiences of Black women depicted in TV, film, and, and books, conversations that I heard my mom and my grandmother have. And I couldn't disprove it, even in my head. And, and I don't think it means that every doctor is out to hurt a Black woman, just like I don't believe that every policeman is out to hurt me but there's enough of them who don't give enough of a damn about us to change it. So that's what your quote made me think about. That relationship and the importance that it holds and the impact when it's damaged. So I appreciate you pulling that together. Thank you. You ready to get into this interview? I am. I want to start with a big question. At least I think it's a big question. What is the thing that that you wish all black folks knew when it came to that relationship we're talking about between themselves and the doctor or even larger themselves in the modern healthcare system? What do we need to know 
that we don't know or we misunderstand? I think the main thing that I would tell Black folks when it comes to healthcare is you need to know that you must advocate for yourself and your loved ones and that you will receive better care when you do. Your loved ones will receive better care when you do. And so the more equipped you are to do that, the better care you're going to receive. And I, 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 every time I say that, I, I, it makes me cringe because I would love to tell your audience that, you know, you can just go into any clinic, any hospital, any emergency department, and you're going to get excellent care regardless. But I know firsthand that that is just not the case. So that, that advocacy piece and, and learning how to effectively and powerfully advocate for yourself and your loved ones yeah. is key. Yeah. We're going to get into your story, but what does advocate mean? Like, how do you advocate for yourself, especially in that setting? Mm-hmm. A, a, a big part of advocating for yourself in healthcare settings is acknowledging that, yes, there is a knowledge differential. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a hierarchy, unfortunately, in the healthcare relationship, you know, the doctor-patient relationship. And yes, the reality is that I went to college for four years. I went to medical school for four years. I did a pediatric residency for three years. I practiced medicine for almost 20 years, all of that. But at the end of the day, that book knowledge and even that experiential knowledge does not trump you knowing your own body, you knowing when your mother or your wife or your father or your sister is just off, you know, even if you're not able to articulate it or explain it. And so advocating for yourself is a huge part of it is trusting your gut. There are so many instances where you talk to people who have bad health outcomes. And I'm not blaming the victim, by right, the way. Right, right. We make that clear. But when you talk to individuals who had bad outcomes or their family members had bad outcomes, and often they will say, I knew something was wrong. But, you know, I, I spoke up. I got dismissed and I thought, well, that's the nurse. She knows better. He knows better. That's the doctor. They went to school for this. I didn't. And then they shrink. And then after the fact, in hindsight, it's like I, I, I knew, like I knew that what they were telling me was wrong or I knew that something wasn't right. I knew that medication looked funny or that, that didn't look like the pill they gave mom the day before. So I, mean, I could go on and on. And so just like standing in your power and um, and, and it's not. I never would advocate for a patient or a family member to be disrespectful because I've gotten that from some of my colleagues. Like, you telling people? No, I, I've never told any patient or family member to be disrespectful. But you have to um, be able to uh, communicate effectively. You have to be confident in what you're saying. And you have to push back often and ask questions. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. If you if you think something is a thing and you and you bring it up and the doctor can clearly explain to you why you're wrong, that's fine. No harm, no foul. But to question yourself or to doubt yourself or to allow someone else to make you shrink because they believe that they know more than you, that's when it all goes bad. And I think the beautiful thing there is but when you're right, what did exactly. you avoid? What did you help? This, this, this doesn't compare, but I was just in Best Buy an hour ago, 90 minutes ago, 
making the transaction, and the guy gave me back my receipt. And I asked him probably seven or eight questions about the receipt because it didn't look right to me. After question two, he was uncomfortable. After question three, I was uncomfortable. But in the back of my mind, I said, there's a $1,000 discrepancy here. And after those seven or eight questions, we got to the point where he said, oh, I see what happened. And, and that's, that's not to parallel the experience of being in the hospital, but it is to show it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to take the risk in being wrong because what if you're right? right? What do you gain? That's right. And I think people should really hold on to what's important in those situations, not your ego, your health or your loved one's health. So people are going to want to know this. You're a doctor and you're advocating for patients. What happened? How did you find yourself in the position to say, I need to teach people how to advocate for themselves? I appreciate that question. Even even when I was actively practicing, I'm just somebody, I'm always going for the the underdog, so to speak. And I think that what I realized when I started being a caregiver to my dad, along with my older sisters, is that I have been sheltered to a large degree as a pediatrician. We kind of live in this utopian world when it comes to medicine. And, you know, kids are always kind of the underdogs to some extent. And in many cases, they can't express themselves, particularly when they're, you know, babies, obviously, they can't talk at all. So you're relying on their moms, their dads, their babysitter. When they get older, often we're getting information not only from the child, but from their family members, teachers, counselors experience. That's how I practice medicine is gathering. Like that's like, that's just how we did it. And, and when my dad became ill and I started going to doctor's appointments with him, I was coming with that same energy. You know, he had early dementia. He had all these. And I was seeing that he was not effectively communicating with his doctors. And I knew that I had information that was critically important and so it was almost like I was like, stay, like, hey, I'm over here, like, you know, and I'm trying to offer information. And I never led with, I'm Dr. Rochester. I, that's just not who I am. So I would go to his appointments just as his daughter, ignored, I would be dismissed. And, and I get it, you know, again, for being a doctor, I know they're pressed for time. I know the last thing a doctor wants to hear when they think they're done is some other family member saying, but wait a minute, you know, what about this? So I get it. But that was my dad. And what I saw over and over again is that my ability to advocate for my father was exponentially more effective once they found out what I did for a living. And that, frankly, pissed me off because you didn't care about my opinion when I was his daughter. But, you know, I had to start flexing my doctor muscles Mm -hmm. and and tell them what I did, you know, in my nine to five. And then it was literally, I mean, literally. Once I said to one doctor, the first time I said, you know, you know, I'm a physician. Oh, oh, and then the doctor sat back down and, you know, leaned in and it's like everything slowed down. And suddenly they were so much more interested in what I had to say. And so that was part of it. And then just also me just being confident and comfortable in medical settings, understanding the terminology. And so I'm following the conversation and I'm 
asking questions that they're not expecting a family member to ask. Um, also, being spending most of my career in the hospital, understanding the hierarchy and understanding how to um, escalate concerns mm-hmm. and knowing that chain of command. So, you know, I'm leveraging all of that experience, that knowledge, and unfortunately, that influence. And I just started to see, you know, it's not to say things got easy. It's still hard as I don't know what, being a caregiver, but things got easier. And I found that I was taken more seriously and I was better able to advocate for my dad. And so every time we would have one of those situations where I would ask a question that I knew the average person wouldn't even know. And it would cause a a complete shift in my dad's care. And then after I would get him settled, what the heck, you know, like, what about all the other family caregivers? Like, this is working out for me and my dad. But what about all the other millions of people who don't have a daughter who happens to be a doctor? And it just made me scared and angry and frustrated. And I just kept thinking about what who's who's standing up for them? Like what 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 mm. doctor do they have? And so I just um, I ignored it for a while. But I mean, I knew like, in hindsight, there was a there was a little voice and all those things calling me back then. But I, I was to myself, I'm going to do something about this. But I didn't really know what that meant. I had no intention of ever leaving my job and like not being a pediatrician. But I just knew that there was something that I needed to do about that. And I needed to show up for others the same way I was showing up for my dad. Yeah. What, what, do, you, what do you think about, because like when you describe that, as a physician, I mean, these are professionals, right? Like you all, I mean, that's a very highly paid and skilled profession in a role. Do you think there's a, a, a lot of incompetence or, or just lack of caring or like, what do you think creates that? Because just, just the experience that you just exhibited, it, it almost makes me feel like every interaction in a hospital setting, I need to have some level of advocacy in order to ensure I get the best care. Yeah, what you just said is true, but I will say it's not typically because of the incompetence of physicians or nurses. Healthcare professionals, as you said, are highly trained, highly skilled. And honestly, when we come out of training, highly, or at least when we start training, very empathic. Like, I have never met a doctor that said, I'm doing this for money. Like, never. Now, I'm not saying there's not one or two out there like that. But we honestly, for the most part, we go into this field because we want to help people. And the, the process, the training process that kind of beats that out of you and literally, you know, kind of forces you or teaches you that you have to put up this tough exterior. And then even beyond that, the system, it's not the doctors, it's not the nurses, it's not the techs, it's the system in which we practice medicine Mm. that is completely broken. And so the fact that I can't spend 20 minutes talking to you to really understand not just your health problem, but how it's impacting your life so that I can understand why you're not taking that medication that I prescribed three weeks ago or why you're not changing your diet or why you're not exercising. The fact that I can't do that because I'm literally being held to these productivity standards where I have to see X number of patients an hour and you know I have seven minutes to see you and all those things. And so eventually what happens, I think, to a lot of doctors and other healthcare professionals is, this disconnect 
between who we want to be and who we are allowed to be, who we're forced to be in healthcare. And that's why you see so much burnout. You see suicide rates. You see people leaving the profession in droves because for some, that disconnect between who they envisioned they would be as a physician and who they are is unbearable. Yeah. It's interesting that you brought up the suicide rate and depression because I was... I was thinking about the whys or the potential whys that made sense to me here. And, and I pulled a couple of them back. And, and one of them was just that. The numbers I saw said reported depression in physicians is roughly 30%, which is more than double what we're walking around with. The, the suicide rate was also more than double. And it took me back to like an early experience I had with my wife. She's a nurse practitioner. And I can remember when she was a nurse, and this was over 20 years ago, there was a patient who was sick and ultimately died. And I remember like how hurt she was when she came home. And I remember thinking to myself then, how is she going to survive a career where people die? And fast forward, Probably 15 years later, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a neurosurgeon, and he broke it down like this. He said he had to find this careful balance between between remembering someone's humanity and disconnecting from them at the same time so he could also protect himself. And that's got to be an incredibly challenging balance. It is. It is incredibly challenging because if you're if you're wearing your heart on your sleeve and it, you know we can't be blubbering and crying and you know although I have cried in front of many patients, but you have to be able to perform your job um, competently, and so that does require a certain degree of um, you know disconnection just so that your your brain is functioning properly. But at the same time, this is a healing profession, yeah. and you can't be in a healing profession without connecting. So, I mean, that's the ultimate conundrum yeah. in, in medicine. Yeah. One of the other things that I thought about was, is it cultural competence? Is it, is it diversity? And so I jumped in. I'll read the numbers that I saw. Of active doctors, Black folks make up the lowest percentage, 5%. Hispanic mm-hmm. folks are just above us at 5.8. 17% Asian. And almost 58% are white. There's some huge disparity gaps inside of the medical field. I thought it would get better at the nurse practitioner and PA level. It got worse in both cases. Mm. Um, I think PAs, I didn't write this down. Black PAs were like 2.8. And I forget the nurse practitioner number. So it brought me back to this point. Are we seeing black doctors do this too? I mean, I hate to say it, but yes, to some extent. But being a black doctor is not going to make you immune to this this conflict that we've been talking about. Yeah, the system um, is there still. Exactly. You're you if you're a black doctor, you're still functioning within this dysfunctional system. However, you know, studies show that black doctors generally are going to go above and beyond to provide good care. And there are lots of studies that yeah. show, you know, not just for not just when we're taking care of black people, you all are probably aware there are studies that show that black people have better health outcomes when they're cared for 
by black physicians, but right. that those no, that's not just true for black patients. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're a black doctor and you're functioning in this current healthcare system, you're you're struggling too. And I think you know there are going to be times when you are not able to show up in the way that yeah. you would want for your patients. I mean, I, I look at it, black doctors are still watching black people abused and killed by the police. They were still called nigger in the parking lot as they walked in. They still have patients who don't want to be treated or seen by them. They've got all the same pressures that does every other doctor, plus all the pressures that does every other black person. And they have to still exactly. find a way to be compassionate and caring and, and empathetic through all of that. So I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, doctor. I do. I give a talk called Doctoring While Black. And it's, mm. <laughs> it's, it's a Doctoring While Black is a thing. Mm. It's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. But we're doing it. We're out here doing it. I can believe it. Not, not, not that I can believe it. I'm happy that you're out there doing it. That's what I meant to say. So here, here's the question. How do we fix this? I mean, locally, independently, at scale? What, what's, what's our responsibility as patients? What do the doctors need to do? And, and then where does your GPS doctor fit into this ecosystem, into this solution? Ooh, I mean, there's so many things <laughs> that need to, there are so many things that need to happen. First of all, in my opinion, we need to remove the control and power that the health insurance companies have um, in healthcare. And I understand that they are ultimately the payers. And so they have a role. And I also understand that we spend a lot of money on healthcare in the United States and there have to be some checks and balances there. But um, that often, the, the money is often what drives these conflicts that we're talking about and that interfere with a doctor's ability to really deliver the type of medical care that would be transformative yeah. to patients and communities. So we need to figure out a better way to, a, a different model to pay for healthcare. And there's some, you know, there's some, uh, advances in that area with like what's called value-based care, where you know we're paying for the value that you deliver and not just getting paid just for doing things, you know, just for doing procedures or things like that. But a lot of the art of medicine is not captured. You know, I don't get paid more if I spend 10 minutes instead of three minutes talking to my patient, even though that 10-minute conversation may lead to that patient um, doing. I hate to use the word compliance, but I'll just say following through with the recommendations, which ultimately may lead to that patient having better health outcomes, which means less expenditure in healthcare and all those things. But at the same time, I right now in the current system, I as a physician get dinged if I'm spending an, an excessive, quote unquote, excessive amount of time with my patients. So that whole process of how we pay for medical care yeah. and what's valued, that needs to change. In terms of, you know, the health disparities, the health inequities that we see in people of color, there's a lot of ways to address that. But part of it is the system, getting rid of the identifying and dismantling the structural racism, the policies that are in medicine that offer an unfair advantage, typically to white people, which in turn means an unfair disadvantage 
to people of color. Mm -hmm. As you alluded to earlier, there's only 5% of doctors, practicing doctors that are Black. We need more physicians of color. We need more nurses. All We need more healthcare workers of color. Um, so that, that uh, pipeline needs to be improved. We need less guidance counselors, discouraging, talented, brilliant Black minds from being a doctor and telling people, oh, you should go do this instead. I mean, it's just, it's so multifactorial and it's, it's just, there's, it's, uh, but, but yeah, we need more black doctors. We need, um, more inclusive practices. Cause it's not just a matter of having more black doctors, but then how are you going to treat us when we get there? Yeah. So we need to focus on, you know, equity and inclusion and making sure that black physicians, black healthcare workers, black healthcare leaders have a seat at the table and are treated properly so that they stay once they achieve that role. And then on the patient side, you know, I believe personally, and I'm biased because I am a professional health advocate. I am a former caregiver. Uh, I am a physician, but I believe that a key to eliminating health inequities is this advocacy piece and teaching patients, communities of color, how to advocate for themselves, um, encouraging people to be more educated about their health conditions, be more comfortable speaking up in healthcare um, arenas, and um, and just taking that control, taking some of that power and some of that control back, so that ultimately there's more of a balance. Right. Because really, it should be a, a shared relationship. Yes, the doctors and the other healthcare workers have more knowledge and experience, but at the end of the day, I'm telling you to do things to your body. I'm telling you to, you know, uh, subject yourself to painful procedures and things of that nature. So in order for that to work, we have to be in this together. And you have to believe that I have your best interests at heart. And I have to believe that you're, you know, you're telling me the truth. It's like, it's, it's a joint relationship. Yeah. And, um, to go back to what we, what we started with, with that erosion, there, there, in many cases, there is no relationship. It's very transactional and it's too brief to be meaningful. And now here we are. Gotcha. So what is the role that, that your GPS doctor plays in all this? What are you doing tactically, strategically, functionally? What's happening there? Yeah, so at its core, when I founded Your GPS Doc, as a health advocacy company, my mission was to help patients and their family caregivers understand and navigate the healthcare system. So essentially, the first few years of my business, I devoted all of my time and energy into providing information to patients and communities so that they can be what I was to my dad, even though they don't have a medical degree. Um, and I did that and continue to do that through you know, my, my website, through blogging, through social media, um, speaking engagements and things of that nature. Um, but I knew even then that my, my purpose was much larger than that. And so I continue um, to a limited degree to work one-on-one -on -one with clients. So individuals will hire me to help them sometimes in a crisis. Maybe they are in the hospital or their family members in the hospital and nobody's listening or they don't understand what's going on or they feel like they're receiving um, subpar care. And, they, and I'll step in and just kind of be that liaison between the medical team and the patient and their family. Right. Um, but then to a larger degree, what I'm doing now is um, consulting. So I'm working with healthcare organizations and um, helping them 
redesign their policies, helping them to uncover the gaps in their systems that um, don't allow them to effectively engage with patients and families, and also that perpetuate these inequities in healthcare. And so that's really how I'm making a difference, large scale. Um, You know, I can work one-on-one with individuals, but ultimately... Revolt is building the largest platform for Black creators globally. Become a member of our network at revoltcreators.com. The The future future is ours to create. How do I scale this in a way that's meaningful? And so by working with the healthcare organizations and hospitals and things of that nature, it's allowing me to really leverage my personal and professional experiences in a way that I hope will ultimately transform healthcare so that we all can have a better experience. You know, I'm thinking as you talked, when I put myself in the position of a patient or a patient's family member, and I'm trying to ask questions of the doctor, I'm trying to make sense of the answers or lack of answers that I'm getting. What are the cues that that someone could pay attention to that says, huh, I need her. I need your GPS doctor in my corner. I need to talk to Dr. Nicole. Like I'm, I'm not getting through to the doctor or I don't feel her. Like what are the things that say it's time to knock on your door? Well, in my opinion, and this is not a plug by any means, but I truly believe in my heart that everybody needs a health advocate, mm-hmm. a patient advocate. Now, when I say that, that doesn't have to be a professional mm-hmm. patient advocate. That could be your boy, your girl, your your soror, your frat brother, your wife, your partner, you know, but so, but really in this day and age, I will say it is dangerous to seek and receive medical care without somebody. And I know with COVID, I mean, that has just made it mm. so much more difficult. You know, there was a time when spouses and partners and family members were literally kicked out of healthcare institutions, nursing homes, you know, things of that nature. And that, I can tell you, we probably will never understand the impact of that, Mm. not having somebody. Because as you said earlier in this interview, when you're sick, you can't, there's no way you can process all of that information. You're not feeling well, you're nervous, you're anxious. You need somebody in that examination room at your side in the emergency department, in your in your hospital room, who at a minimum is, first of all, just being there because that in and of itself is like, okay, this person has somebody that cares about them. And I hate to say it, but that can make a difference. Yeah. And then actively listening, asking questions, taking notes, you know, to jotting down notes so that after that doctor leaves, they can go to the you as the patient and say, hey, you know, this, this is what he said. And you may say, oh, I didn't even catch that. So taking notes, Doing a little bit of research. I'm not a huge fan of like Dr. Google, but you do have to do your own research to some extent so that you can engage in conversations with the medical team. So I believe that everybody needs an advocate. But when you may want to think about hiring someone like myself is um, in a crisis situation where, you know, hospital stays, transitions in care, meaning like maybe you or your loved one is going from the hospital to a nursing home or rehab facility, those are very dangerous times when you're being transferred from one medical facility to another. That's time, those are times when uh, things fall through the cracks very frequently and 
Some of the information doesn't get transmitted. And what I learned when I was caring for my father is that often myself and my sisters were the only people that really knew what was going on because there were bits and pieces in this medical record and bits and pieces over here. And we were that constant that could say, well, no, no, our dad, three weeks ago, this happened. And this doctor would be like, oh, nobody told me that. So um, so I think during those transitions, it's really important. Or like what, what you said, if you're just really feeling like despite your best efforts, you are having significant difficulty communicating with the medical team, getting them to, um, to talk with you, getting them to um, see you as a member of the team. I think that's also important. And then I've also had clients who came to me before there was a crisis, mm. a new diagnosis of Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's, dementia or cancer, and saying, you know what, Dr. Nicole, this is going to be a long road. I don't even know the questions to ask. I don't know how to evaluate this treatment over this treatment, or how do I even know that this is the doctor that I should be going to? How do I decide which hospital to have my surgery in? Um, and so some people will be very proactive on the front end and say, I just want somebody to like hold my hand yeah. and, and help me understand what's going on. There seem to be levels to this shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it like this. I watched at least seven seasons of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I watched every episode of The Resident. ER, check. Got it, right? Am I a good advocate? Am, am I ready to go stand by someone's side? or? Am I the note taker, right? And, and I want to add a little more to that because I'm getting to a point. Where do I even go if I don't want my homeboy who watched every medical show? Where do I go if I don't just want someone who's going to take a note and I live in South Florida, right? Is there patient advocates through the hospital? Can I trust them? Are there many private options? Can I get to them? And how do I trust them? How do I research them? And then the last thing is, what does it cost? Can I afford them? All good questions. So hospitals do tend to have what they may call a patient advocate or some, there may be different names for that or patient representative. Um, this is what I'll say, and it's not going to be popular with hospital administrators who may listen, but when you are working with a hospital employee, you just need to understand who pays their salary. Like HR. So I'm not, exactly. So I'm not saying that you can't get good service from a hospital social worker, a hospital case manager, or a hospital patient advocate. I'm not saying that because we have used all of those individuals in um, care for family members. However, at the end of the day, their primary allegiance is to that hospital. Mm -hmm. So their job ultimately is to get you out of the hospital, hopefully safely, expeditiously. That's always the goal. And so that's, that's where their interest lies. And so if there's ever a conflict between getting you out of the hospital expeditiously and your true needs, then your needs are going to be trumped. Um, so I think that individuals should always leverage those, those people. You know, they're free. You have a right to those services as a hospitalized patient. Um, but you should always consider, at least consider hiring a professional health advocate. And to answer your question about location, 
Many of us are not bound by any geographic limitations. So there are Good some health know. advocates who will only work within a certain geographic area. They've gotten to know the hospitals and the doctors in that area, and that's their comfort level. There's others like myself who, you know, I'll take care of a client anywhere in the country, depending on what the need is. Now, if you need somebody to be physically present in the hospital, I'm not getting on a plane and going to California to do that. But most of what I do can be done remotely. And I was doing that even before COVID. 98% of what I do for clients is, is done remotely through phone calls, emails, Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, all those things. So, um, so yeah, you don't necessarily have to search within your area. And there are professional directories that you can go to. Um, so the Alliance of Professional Health Advocates or AFA, they have a directory. Um, Greater National Advocates or GNA, they have a directory. So if you just Google like health advocate, Miami, Florida, it'll probably take you to one of those directories and you can search and look at the individual's background and where they are located and what types of services they provide. In terms of costs, you know, I wish that this was free, but what I'm not going to say is I wish it was covered by insurance because I've had people say, oh, this should be covered by health insurance. The only reason I don't say that is because of what we've been talking about. Yeah. If this type of service were covered by health insurance, mm. then now we're back in the same dilemma where yeah. your insurance company is telling me how to take care of you. Right. And your insurance company is saying, oh, 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 you spending too much time with Mr. Jones or mm -hmm. no, Mr. Jones shouldn't. Don't tell Mr. Jones about that particular thing because that therapy costs more than this therapy. So while it is a burden um, to have to pay for this out of pocket, it, once we start to involve third parties, I think it, you, you, you then have that, that pop, uh, potential conflict of interest. Most of us charge an hourly rate. And I will tell you, I've seen everything from $75 an hour to $500 plus an hour and gotcha. everything in between. So that often varies depending on your geography. It'll vary depending on what services you need. It'll vary depending on the, um, the training of the advocate. So I'm a physician. I'm also a health advocate. So my prices are going to be higher than a lay person yeah. who's a health advocate. Um, and then there are some foundations. There's a National Patient Advocate Foundation, and sometimes they will provide grants to individuals or they will provide like subsidies to help offset the cost. But there's a lot that you can do yourself. Can I yeah. share a little bit about what people can do Absolutely. just to advocate for themselves? Please. Okay, so if you aren't ready to hire a health advocate or maybe you don't feel like you have the funds right now to invest in that service, all of us can, can begin to be advocates for ourselves and for our family members. So my company is Your GPS Doc. I'm all about navigation. So a lot of the things I talk about, I try to use that theme. So I have a GPS system that every single one of your listeners can literally start practicing today. The G is to gather information. What that means is asking questions. You should never, ever, ever, ever leave a doctor's appointment, an emergency room, an urgent care center, a hospital, a nursing home without asking questions. You have to make sure you have a clear understanding of what is your problem. You may have, you know, they may be throwing medical terminology around. You need to be able to slow them down. Excuse me, doc, can you repeat that? And, and ask, what exactly is my problem? What is my main diagnosis? And you need to either write it down or have somebody else writing that down. And when they recommend a treatment, you, you need to ask, okay, are there any alternatives to that? Like, we're just used to 
The doctor says, take this, this, this. Okay, go get this. Okay, get this surgery. No, we just need to engage in dialogue and say, why are you recommending that? And it's not, again, it's not a contentious relationship, but can you explain why you're recommending this? Okay, they explain. Are there any alternatives? Is there, is there something else? Maybe they recommend surgery. Maybe you don't want to have surgery. Is there something else that I can try first before surgery? So asking questions is so incredibly important. And a lot of times your questions may lead that doctor, and that's happened to me, to think about something that they had not previously thought about. Sometimes you can be the one to help make your diagnosis. So that's the G, gather information. The P is to position yourself as an expert. And I've talked about this already today. No matter how much training, education, all that stuff that we have as healthcare professionals, you are the expert for your own body. You, nobody can tell you what you're feeling. You are the only one that knows when something started, when it ended, what makes it better, what makes it worse. So you need to stand in that power and in that authority and respectfully position yourself as an expert. That also involves finding out about your condition. You've asked, what, what is your diagnosis? Okay, you have hypertension. You need to go home and you need to do a little bit of research on hypertension or you need to ask the doctor, hey, is there a website that you can tell me to refer me to so I can go home and do some more reading? Or do you have a pamphlet about high blood pressure so I can go home and read about it so that you can begin to understand more about your condition, how it's treated, what are some side effects of the medications, all those things. And then the S is to speak up. And that's really where that advocacy piece comes in. You have to get comfortable speaking up for yourself. If something doesn't feel right in your gut, you're probably right. So if the information that's being given to you doesn't seem right, if the pill that you're being handed in the hospital doesn't look right, if you know all the other nurses did the IV one way and now they're doing it, somebody else is coming in and they're doing it differently, you need to ask questions and you need to speak up for yourself. And if you can just do those three things, mm. gather information, position yourself as the expert and speak up, you will begin to be your own health advocate. That was so crystal clear. Yeah. Like, what else do you say after that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and with consideration to everyone needing to have a level of advocacy when they engage like that, that's important. I feel like I need a tutorial on what I should be, like a step-by-step blueprint <laughs> of how to be an effective advocate. Yeah. I'll pay, I'll pay $99.99 for that too. <laughs> Online program. All right, let me get let me work on that. Let me work certified. on a, a tutorial. Mm-hmm, In certified. the meantime, you can go to okay, certified. By Dr. Decoe. <laughs> That's a good idea. That's not a bad idea. But you can also go to my website and get there's I have a lot of information and tips on my um on my website. Well, look, since you, you went through all that, we're we're roughly at time. I don't see a need to build past that because that was amazing. Why don't we do what we do at the end of every episode? Hand the mic over to you and you can tell the people whatever's in your heart to share. We do ask to share your website, how they can engage with you, follow you, learn from you. The mic is yours. Awesome. Thank you. Well, first, I want to thank the two of you for having me. This has been an amazing conversation. As I've told you, I'm a huge fan we appreciate of that. your show. So I'm just like excited that I had this opportunity to, to be on your podcast. Let me start with that. 
Um, in terms of what I would share, I, again, I just, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of playing an active role in your own healthcare and being invested, being interested, take being a participant alongside the doctors and the nurses and um, learning how to be your own advocate for yourself and your loved ones is incredibly important. In terms of where to find me, my website is yourgpsdoc.com. Lots of information there. Uh, on social media, um, at yourgpsdoc. If you want to find out about my business and what I'm up to and get tips about navigating healthcare, and at the GPS doc, if you want to get some of the inside uh, tips or just get to know me as Nicole and, and find out a little bit more about me as the person and, so, and some of my you know, things I like to do outside of medicine. So at your GPS doc and at the GPS doc. Gotcha. Dr. Nicole, we appreciate you. This is needed information. I mean, like I started the show, that, that wasn't just something I wanted to say for our listeners. If you have not found yourself in that position yet, just wait. Yep. It's coming. So true. You, your homeboy, your mother, your wife, your husband, your child, at some point you will find yourself having a serious conversation with serious consequences with a doctor about a loved one. Remember this episode. Don't be afraid to speak up. Slide ego to the side. Be willing to look like the fool you think you are. Because you have the ability to have an impact on their care and therefore on their life. And I promise if you don't and things don't go well, you'll regret that forever. Dr. Nicole, thank you. Wild Black, peace. We out. Love you. Thank you. What's up, y'all? This is Clint Coley, and I'm the host of the Music is a Love Language podcast. Now, check this out. If you're a fan of music podcasts, then be sure to check out and subscribe to Music is a Love Language podcast. We are a podcast that has honest conversations about music all day, every day. If you like to argue music, this is the podcast you want to be listened to. And it's brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop and powered by creators. Again, Make sure you guys follow and subscribe. Music is a Love Language Podcast. I'm Clint Coley. Hope to have your ear soon.